every one that's here today. We appreciate your presence more than you know. And it's indicative of an interest in spiritual things. And this is a time of year when we may be able to spend a little vacation time and see our family members and enjoy them as well. And that can be a great boost to us and encouragement spiritually if things are going well. And if not, then it's time to get out the Word of God and express our love for our loved ones and try to help in whatever the situation may be. Appreciate Brother Micah leading that last song, and it's an intro to our thoughts today. We want to talk about standing and what we should stand for and how we should stand, time permitting. But there is more to this topic than time will permit in one 30 or 40 minute lesson. So we hope that uh, at a minimum we'll even whet your appetite to study more about the word stand and standing. We're not going to be talking about our posture and standing up straight and what that might do for our uh, bone structure and the muscles that we have in our body. Um, we're going to be talking about standing for what is right and standing against sin and standing with our brethren and with Christ and His Word. And as we just sung, we will not be to do this on our own might on our own. Even our confidence will be because we should put our confidence in the Lord and in His Word and He will be with us and our faith should be that big like it was with David the shepherd boy when he went to Saul, a warrior and king at the time and he heard about this Philistine named Goliath and the ridicule and the insults that were being cast against not only the children of Israel but referencing the God that they would serve. David wasn't going in telling Saul he was going to do it with his great might or he could you know, hit something from far away with his slingshot and I'm sure he was very good at that being a good shepherd. No, it was because the Lord would be with him and we need to feel that way about standing for truth but that begs the backup that we say, well, do we know what the truth is in God's Word? And uh, where's your sword? I'm talking about that iron, stainless steel, or some other precious metal, maybe made of silver, but where's your sword? Is it still hard copy? That's fine. Is it on your digital device, and do you have the ability to get to the Word of God when we're in services and at home? Do you have it at the ready? Do you enjoy going and reading God's Word and studying and talking to others about it and learning so that you are more capable as a soldier in the army of the Lord? If we're Christians, we're soldiers. We're members of the body of Christ. We're running a race and and. Yet we are in a spiritual warfare. We had a lesson on that a few lessons back. We are at war, and if we're not using our sword, and we're not fighting anything, then like the Aaron Tippin song, uh, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. 
Now, that's a biblical principle. Aaron didn't come up with that, or the songwriters that helped him or allowed him to take that song and, and sing it, but it was a hit. And the concept is scriptural. It's solid. That if you don't have a backbone, you're not standing for anything. And let me suggest as we go through these thoughts today that you consider that this is not optional for the Christian. This is a mandate. And so there are things in our activities that are either mandatory or they're liberties like golf or tennis or, or things of that nature that we can do or we may spend our entire life and never do those liberties. We need to be careful with our liberties. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8. We can sin in our liberties and we need to be considerate of our brethren. And then there are those things that are forbidden. They're just out and out wrong and we should not be doing and I believe that all activities can fall into one of those three categories. And we need to know our Bibles well enough. And we need to have the faith and trust in God's Word that we can fight the good fight of faith. So again, let us think of these things as we go through the lesson. I'm going to read a lot from the New American Standard uh, Version today. And I think it's good, uh, fellows and uh, ladies in Bible class, that when we're reading from text, we have so many English translations, it's really good uh, if we might give a hint before we start so others in the class or the audience might know because we can get there pretty quick on some of these Bible programs uh, and be following along in the translation being used. We're going to start in Ephesians 6 because it's got several verses in verses 10 through 17 that speak to this very matter of the Christian's warfare. Verse 10, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, New American Standard Version. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. See, it's not us, it's the Lord. Now, we have to do something. We have spiritual exercise to do, but it's in the strength of the Lord's might. Put on the full armor, not partial, of God, so that you may be able to, here it goes, now watch all these stands that will come up in these verses, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. Got to know the difference between truth and error to be able to do that, don't we? And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, our example, our lifestyle needs to be righteous, that is, in accordance with the Word of God. Now, all of us sin and fall short, but we shouldn't be out there hypocritical, should we? And having strapped, verse 15, on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And so when, we, when they see our feet coming, it shouldn't be, oh no, here comes Mark again. We should be known as peace, peaceful people, but we should also be known as spiritual and spiritually minded people. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith 
which with you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then take the helmet of salvation. And here it is, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Are we engaged in the spiritual warfare? Oh, I'm living right, Mark. I'm living right. I'm here to tell you that if we're not engaging the spiritual warfare, we're not complete. I'm not saying that you're a bad person, that you aren't doing many things that are right. Well, that's for somebody else. I don't see that in these verses. We may be at various stages of growth and maturity, but in a physical army, we have those that by rank are brought in and they're at basic training and they get other training throughout the time of being in the military forces. And they continue with their training and they have a period of maturation or advancement in knowledge and in tactics and in understanding the who, what, when, where, and why of what they're supposed to do under what circumstances and exercises or drills are performed so that they will be able to hopefully, if the uh, encounter with the enemy happens, they will be prepared to fight unto victory. We need to do similar types of things with the Bible so that we can convict the gainsayer, so that we can save our families, that we can help our children when things come <clears throat> home from school that are in the way of assertions that are not biblical and we need to be able to point to Scripture to be able to help start right out with the Word. Because that's the most important thing. And when the children see that type of an example by their parents and their loved ones, that we consult the God of this universe first, isn't that the right example that we want? And then an honest life and treating people fairly and not unfairly because... Who is it that sees the faults of the parents the most if it's not the children? Because they're watching because they want to be just like daddy or they want to be just like mommy. And they can spot inconsistencies. Well, you said not to do this, but you just did this. And they will point out those and they will be very inquisitive. And that's a good thing. We need to check ourselves against the mirror of God's word uh, another metaphor, if you will, that uh, James uses, that we can check ourselves and look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein. That's our life manual. It's how to live on earth and be able to see the pearly gates and the street of gold. In the first place, we're going to look at standing for and standing against, compare and contrast, if you will, we know that it takes courage to stand and to take a stand on things that put us in conflict with others. If we really love God and His Word, like we should, we will take up everything that we read in our Bibles about following and supporting the cause of Christ and try to implement it in our life as the occasion comes our way. We just sang in Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, that we need to have courage. And it will take courage if we are having a conflict. And we may wince. I don't prefer conflict. Um, sometimes I'd rather have a beating, physical, a physical beating, 
than to be in an argument. But when you teach someone or have a part in teaching someone the gospel, and then they tell you, I'm ready. And you say, well, what are you ready for? And they say, I want to be baptized. I, we've, we've studied it. Is there anything else that I'm going to need to learn before I can, can become a Christian? And to move from that point to the water and to have them come up and all of their sins, their past sins are removed. And their brother or sister in Christ at that point is such a joy. And we look forward to times like that. But sometimes that type of ending, so to speak, or can I say chapter point in that person's life, began with maybe a moment of uneasiness or uncomfortableness when... Uh, we asked what someone thought about a verse to start. Bubba gave a good exhortation, I believe it was this past Wednesday night, about that being one way we can have a lead-in with some people. And, and you say, have you ever thought about this verse? Do you? What's your take on that? And it begins to possibly generate a study or a shutdown. And we can only do so much, but we're to be ready to sow the seed of the kingdom. Jesus said in Luke 9 verses 23 to 26. Luke 9 verses 23 to 26. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's Jesus' way. It's not my way. And if I have an attitude, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I need to get off my high horse and start remembering that I am the creature and not the creator. And God is sovereign. He is the lawgiver. He's in the judgment seat of making decisions on where I will spend eternity. And he's been more than fair, given us a plan. And I need to be willing to submit. That's right. Submit. All men, all women, children from young to old need to learn how to submit to the will of God. There's some things we don't need to submit to. False doctrine. Things that are wrong. Laws that are even passed in countries that are diametrically opposed to the Bible. We don't have to follow those laws. Acts 5.29. But don't misabuse, uh, misabuse, misuse or abuse excuse me, and, and decide we're going to pick and choose and try to hang our head on uh, Acts 5 around verse 29 that we ought to obey God rather than man. When the law of the land tells us to do something that we don't like, but it doesn't conflict with the word of God. No, they get to be the boss there. Romans 13 says that, that we are to obey the powers that be. And there was persecution of Christians. <laughs> People were being put in, in Paul's day and Jesus' day into prison over religious matters. And we have so many freedoms in this country. And that gives some other people some freedoms to do some very sinful actions. And just take the locker rooms at the YMCA and what's going on now. Um, where someone can just choose arbitrarily regardless of their anatomy and their gender. And just walk into what I would consider to be the other gender's locker room. And go right in and strip down and take a shower. Now, who wants their child or anyone to have that kind of thing? And this is policy that's having to be set because of laws of the land. That's where we are now. 
And that seems just crazy. Something needs to be done. And we can pray. And we can suggest the inconsistencies to leaders and lawmakers. But we can't engage in that. We can't condone that. And that's at the why that YM Young Men's Christian Association. How far has that gone? Is polygamy next as far as what will be legislated to be okay? I wouldn't be surprised the way things are going. I like the phraseology that our brother used in the prayer. We are a broken nation. You know, we can put Humpty Dumpty back together again, though, with the Word of God being rightly applied. That's the beauty of forgiveness. Now, it may take the nation to fall before it bounces, and where it bounces, I don't know. I pray we won't see that. I pray our children and generations after us won't see that. But that's in God's hands with regard to civil government and what kind of punishment is meted out when. We just need to stand for the truth and understand and be on guard with these things. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the Bible says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I'm looking at this and other translations for a moment uh, because this act like men is not easily understood. But listen to the New International Version. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. That's the NIV. New Living. Be courageous. English Standard. Act like men. Berean Standard. Be men of courage. Berean Literal. Act like men. King James, quit you like men. New King James, be brave. Another translation in English says, be valiant. Men, men and women of valor, be courageous, be brave, because we're at war spiritually, and we need to stand for something, or we'll fall for anything. Ephesians 6, we read in verses 10 through 17. Did you hear those phrases concerning stand firm? If I understand this particular word, if I've got it right, it's found eight times in the New Testament. Not stucco, but stecco is how it's being pronounced as I listen to others pronounce it online. And it has to do with a military term of holding your position, standing firm on the truth or in the military, maybe your territory, uh, so that you can hold your ground, hold your position, all suggesting this idea that it takes effort and how are we going to stand if we can't use our sword, the Word of God. We have to be familiar with God's Word because it's part of our armor in engaging along with the other things that we mentioned. Our faith, the shield, has to be there. And it has to be well made because we don't need to have a weak faith in the battle for our souls. <coughs> so what can you think of that we're standing for or should be standing for as Christians? How about Christ? His church, the body of Christ? How about God's true plan of salvation on what it takes for one to really become a Christian because there are many pseudo-plans, false plans that are being shopped about. Maybe an easier plan or a shorter plan 
but an unscriptural plan that doesn't result in the same. And yet people are thinking that they're Christians when they're not. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We've got to follow the prescriptions that God gives us in his word for the forgiveness of sin, whether becoming a Christian or after we become a Christian. Do we stand for the truth? And do we try our best to live it? And do we stand for what is right? If we see a grievous error going on, will we say, whoa, 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 that, that's not right there now. Don't do that. Don't take that boy's lunch money. We may not put our hands on another person's child or anything of that nature unless it's life-threatening to us or the other uh, child or children involved, but we can use our tongue and try to correct a grievous situation. Sometimes we're left to report, but we can do what we can to help, can't we, as we come in contact, not just with brethren when situations arise, but with non-Christians. But what if we have a situation with our brethren? What about when brethren disagree? We need to check our <coughs> attitudes then, in addition, because you can have the truth and you can have the wrong attitude and that's still got sin involved. The devil will take the win either way. <laughs> so here we've got someone in error in this made-up illustration, but they have the very best attitude. They want the truth, they love the truth, but they are wrong in this fictitious illustration. Over here we've got someone that's got the truth, but they're always militant and they're pounding. They don't listen well, they're not patient, and they don't have love. I'm not describing anyone in, in this congregation. What I'm trying to do is let you know that just having the truth alone is not enough. We have to have the attitudes that God wants us to have as we go forward. You know that the, the work of the church is not going to be, uh, we don't lock the door so the devil can't get in. He gets in. He comes <laughs> through our minds. He's not worried about picking the locks. He comes in and we have to push him away and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He'll come back. But we can resist him when we start getting our minds off or wandering during the Lord's Supper observance. we got to push him out. We want to worship God in spirit and truth. In Bible class, it's a whole lot easier to just sit there and someone says something that we disagree and we don't even raise our hand and say, maybe we can study that more. I, I may have the wrong idea, but... Consider this, and just throw a softball in there. We're, we love each other, but we want to hunger and thirst after the truth. So we all have it. It's not that I'm going to be right, and you have to always be wrong. We want to know what's the truth, and then we want to try to help each other in love obey the truth. And as we face church situations, congregationally, if we will apply God's word first and let's go over these passages and let's look and rightly divide and then let's in love try to patch up or, or see what we can do about the situation because with the blood of Christ, if there's sin, we can get rid of sin. But we don't want to destroy the person or persons in the process, but we have to stand. And I've known congregations in the past, being the son of a minister, 
that uh, problems being dealt with. The church even has elders. And the people are wrong and the elders are taking care of the situation and they report to the flock. And then here goes the phone. And here goes the gossip. And here goes the half-truths or the partial truths. Well, I just don't like the way they're handling it. Yeah, the other people are wrong, but I just don't like it. And in that case, nothing that I could tell of was going wrong. That hurts when tongues wag. But the devil loves it now. He can't get other people to send the sin that we're trying to get out of one member or a situation, then he'll take any sin. Sins of the tongue. And oh, what a fire can get lit from those that teach here and those that aren't even teachers here. We have got to be careful because we'll be tempted and we can make a bigger mess that takes more time and effort to clean up and the devil's laughing, laughing, laughing. It's spiritual warfare. It's real. And it, it is on our hearts. So let us love one another unto that which is right. And I'm preaching to myself just as much as trying to teach that which will be beneficial to us all. What can you think of that we're standing for as Christians? Many things. And I haven't covered them all. But let's go to standing against. We're at war not peace with the devil, the devil's angels, and sinful people, and sinful activities. So we're obligated to be good soldiers and stand against the enemy. 1 Timothy 6, 12 through 15. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I direct you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Boy, that's standing against, isn't it? Ever thought about having to go before a ruler and, and profess your Christianity? Should, we should not be ashamed of our Lord or the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is said, Romans 1.16, to be the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Back to 1 Timothy 6, picking up at verse 14. That you keep the commandment without fault or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful till Jesus comes back or you die. Whichever comes first. Be faithful, Christians. Stand against sin and stand for what God tells us to in His Word. Verse 15, which He will bring about at the proper time, He who is blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to be like Paul concerning our warfare, as he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. You've heard it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who doesn't want Jesus to come back right now? People with sin on their account. <laughs> I'm going to straighten up when I get 55 or 65 or 75. Uh, what are we going to do? We're going to die in our sins if we're trying to live that way. Ask me how I know. Ephesians 6, we've already been there, 10 through 15. Reading it again with the concept, we're not going to do it. 
but reading it through with standing against. We can read it once what we're to stand for. Then we can say what are we supposed to stand against in the comparison and contrast. Well, that, that could mess up families, teaching the gospel. Because, you know, there are people in situations that they ought not be in. Well, Jesus warned of this in Luke 14, 26 and 27. It's heart-rending, but it's still needing the application of the gospel to whatever the situation is. It's Luke 16, excuse me, Luke 14, 26 and 27. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, somebody's all fouled up in something and they have messed it up as far as the word is concerned they can be saved but they're going to have to repent of whatever the situation is if they committed murder they can't bring that person back from the dead but they can repent of it and ask forgiveness either in becoming a Christian if they're not or making using God's second law of pardon for the Christian. Well, my daddy won't like that. He'll disown me. My mama won't like that. She'll disown me. My brother will never speak to me again if I do that. Jesus says it might just come down to that. That there will be families broken up over the gospel. My brother John Hartman was like that. His parents told him he was going to leave particular religious organization and marry and, and, and convert to where Carol Hartman was going to church down at the Church of Christ they would disown him it's my understanding that they did John wanted to go to heaven and he listened to Jesus I believe in this case we're not standing if we're not standing against all sin it's easy to say, well, I'll pick this list of 20 and I'm going to fight them tooth and nail. Look at me, fighting sin. Four good things against sin. But what about these 30 over here that you're not choosing to fight, Mark? What's, let's don't fool ourselves. We can deceive ourselves to thinking. And the devil take that win, too. It's a win for the devil when we don't pay attention to his devices. Jesus said, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And Jesus doesn't want too much. Well, that just seems unfair to me. God's ways are higher than our ways. And we probably, truth be told, left the Bible shut if we're ignorant and didn't care enough to read God's word, the instruction manual for life and for eternity. And if we kept it closed and we went our way and did our thing and then later we were confronted with the Word of God, life is too short and eternity is too long, if I can say that, about something that goes on and on and on forever, for us to care so much about temporal things instead of eternity. Next, let's move real quick to standing alone and standing with. 
I'll try to be brief, and you've got the gist of what's going on, I think, in this lesson well. You're listening extremely well. We have many examples in the Bible of faithful servants to God who had to stand alone at times due to their allegiance and obedience to God. Consider Noah before the flood. I know there were eight souls in the, in the ark, humans, along with the animals. But Noah was out there preaching 120 years and got that ark built. You reckon he ever felt alone? Consider Elijah right after the contest on Mount Carmel. Seems like this guy has all this faith and he goes against the prophets of Baal and they have the contest. You know, you fix your sacrifice first and, you know, what's wrong? Your gods aren't hearing you. Are they asleep? Well, can we wake them up? People started cutting themselves. They were sincerely religious, but they were wrong in following the Baals, weren't they? Elijah says, pour the water on mine, pour the water on again and again and again, and call upon God, and it zapped, and it wasn't any problem like that fire, was it? That's the distinction and the contrast between God and man. God's religion and false religions. Yet Elijah, after that, he feels alone, and the Lord has to show him there's some people over here that are still righteous. They might be in a cave, but I'm going to let you know you are not alone. We've got people that care about us. When Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, it impresses something on me. Maybe it doesn't mean this, but it impresses me that Jesus stood up. He cared about what was going on when people were stoning Stephen. Read the text in the latter part of Acts 7, the concern and love that he had. Consider David again when he was asking, I'll go take care of this Philistine. He's talking bad about the God of the Israelites. Consider Jesus Christ in the synagogue and his time on earth among the Pharisees on many occasions and around the time of his crucifixion, Looks around and he's gone to pray and he told him to, to watch. He can't watch for an hour. Jesus felt alone when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Consider Paul when he said in 2 Timothy 4.16 that no one stood with him. Yes, there may be times that we have to stand alone, but are we alone if we're on the side of God? If we're on the side of God, isn't God with us? And if God be with us, who can be against us? We need to know that we're not alone, and there are passages to that end. We'll move to standing with. God and faithful brethren are those with whom we're to fight the good fight of faith. We don't have to do this alone. Our heavenly host is there, and we have encouragement in the Scriptures. And as brethren, we should be brethren in word and in deed. <coughs> Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, Paul says, or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving together for the faith of the gospel. Kind of sounds like what he told the Corinthians, that he wanted them to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians when he was taking what the household of Chloe had not gossiped but reported that they were having divisions in that congregation. Here's what I can give as a small recipe. Mark, when do I know what to do? When you're reporting something because you want to help what's going on and your intent is let's go help them, I don't know what to do, but I need to report this situation because our brother or sister over here is drowning in this sin or this situation. That's not gossip. But when it's, there's the situation and I want to get on the horn of the text and start saying I don't know if you know this or not, but I can't believe that so-and-so's doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Can you see the difference in wanting to help and throw them a lifeline, even if we don't know? Some things sometimes take what it seems to be the wisdom of Solomon to figure out and get right, but it can be done by applying the Word of God. It may take time. In Ezra 9 and 10, there were some people that married far and wide and when they opened the book of the Lord and they saw what they needed to do and they had a mind to do it, it was said, this matter's not going to get cleared up in just a day. Now, I'm paraphrasing. They said, we're not going to get this right just, just like that. But it's my understanding they got it right. Because the people had a mind to want to do it. And there was wives by whom they had children. That's heartrending. But some people don't know that's in there because they haven't studied the Bible and they make an argument like, well, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. God doesn't want me to be alone. God wants us to be right and he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he's got the right to make the rules. It's our job to read them, understand them, and obey. And that's not mean. And if it seems that way to us, that's human thinking or the devil because he loves us so much. What parent that considers punishing their child to help them know that the stove is hot or that street out there is a place where they can get run over and killed? That's not. That's not wrong for the parent to teach that child those things, all things else being equal. We're almost there. Standing firm and standing steadfast is necessary. We're admonished to be steadfast, unmovable, to stand firm, this military term. And it's found in part in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. But listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm. It's a, it's a command, it's a requirement, it is not a liberty. Be immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here's the last verse for today, so get your psalm books, please. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God hath chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our 
Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. There it is. And hold on. That's kind of like holding fast. True the traditions, unfortunate word to me in the English, other translations will let it be known, but we should know by the reading of this that they didn't obey the gospel by some tradition that was just a mere custom. But rather these were inspired traditions. This was what was commanded by God for them to become Christians and live right. Which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or letter from us, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father, who has loved us and give us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every work and word. Now this is an inspired writer. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica. Do we believe those words? If we do, then we need to have comfort and solace in them. If they're just mere words, we need to read it and read it and read it until we can put it in our heart in such a way that it gives us something. Like a life preserver for eternal salvation, we can fall from grace. We can, we can go from unbeliever to believer and we can decide if we want to as free moral agents that ten years later we can go from believer to unbeliever or unfaithful child of God. God gives us free will. He won't hold us against our will either way. But if we will take the life preserver that we have been offered and we'll hold on to the end, we'll have a home in heaven. I love you all. And you've listened well. Thank you for putting up with uh, the presentation. I hope I didn't get in the way of the message that God gives us in this regard. It's not worth it. I don't know of one day, one minute, one month, one year of playing around in the devil's playground as a wayward Christian that would do anybody, anybody, any good. It's foolishness. It's utter stupidity. So let us be the type of people that are the people of God. Let us look out for one another like we do our children. Let us care when people leave the faith or leave the church and depart. Let's reach out to them and invite them back to services. Let's pray for them. And i got to tell you one thing. We don't need to stop, and that's this praying. We are prayer warriors. I believe in our spiritual warfare, we've taken that to a higher level. Commendations all around. With two tools, the text that we use that gets sent out as the group text, pray for so-and-so, this is the situation, and with a bulletin list of what we have. Let us not lose being prayer warriors. Let's pick it up in other areas, but let us not lose the efforts that we're making. I know it does good because God says it does. If you're subject to the gospel call, need to make something right, or if you want to obey the gospel, there's no time like the present. If you're subject in any way, we bid you come and invite you now or later as we stand and sing. Won't you come? <laughs>